Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to Encounter Church. I'm Pastor Craig Rice. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Hey, what's going on, Encounter family? Hey, thanks for joining us on this uh, brand new series that we have going on called Me and My House. We are building better relationships with the people we share airspace with. Thanks for joining us for our first installment of this series, and I can't wait to take this journey with you as we fortify and build up our closest relationships. That's the thing. Following Jesus, being a part of a uh, Christian community, we are called to do life in community. You're not supposed to do life alone, and your home and how you do life and how you interact with people is so important In fact, Jesus said it this way, that all men are going to know that you are my disciples by how you love and treat one another. Not because of a badge, not because of a label, not because you declare that you are, but because of how you treat one another. And so we want to build better relationships. We want to see God in our relationships, and we want to see his work in those relationships because then it is a light to everyone else around us. Now, we are living in some crazy, crazy times. And during these crazy times, I believe that it is important for us to build better relationships with the people that we share airspace with. So the people in our homes, our kids, our family members, our parents, grandparents, like building better relationships. This is our friends, our coworkers, who we do life with on a daily basis basis, we got to build those better relationships. But we're dealing with some unprecedented times with some heavy, heavy issues in our world. And I want to bring us to uh, and bring attention to the fact of what the Bible says. The Bible was never caught off guard with these things. God was never caught off guard with the craziness of our world. There is evidence in scripture that points to moments and seasons and times just like we're living in. And fortifies us and causes us to have a sure foundation built on a Christ-centered perspective of relationships, how we do do that and how we live that way. So let's go ahead. Let's dive in. We're going to go to the book of Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And Joshua's having a a conversation with, with the rest of the tribes of Israel and there's this moment of drifting away from God and, and some clans are wanting to stay with God and there's just this internal conflict and, and chaos. And Joshua makes a defining moment and statement right here. And he says this, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then he says it like this, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a defining statement like, you can do what you want to do, but as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we are determined to serve the Lord no matter what anybody else chooses, no matter where everybody else goes, no matter what everyone else does. Today, I'm making a defining statement that as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I find it interesting that right now in the current culture that we find ourselves in 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 America, that one in four Americans, that's 25%, say that they are practicing Christians. 25% of Americans in a nation whose 
God is supposed to be Lord. In a, in a nation where we still have in God we trust only 25% of our citizens in this nation say that they are practicing Christians. And then I, I dove in and got some more research and it says this, that practicing Christians and their families are more likely to end up watching television and movies together than to pray together. So according to a recent report that the Barna Group put out, 51% of practicing Christians say that they pray with household members every day or two. Meanwhile, 53% watch TV or movies together every day or two. And then 68% eat dinner together every day or two, which has impacted how they do life together. We're drifting away from the times we spend together. And I would say even, even the 53% that watch TV, thank God they're doing it together. The ones that eat together, thank God they're eating together because we've got to come together. But, but we have reduced the practice of spirituality in our homes and we've increased everything else. But in the trend, we're still seeing a decline of what we do together. In fact, even going to church together has drastically dropped in the last few years. And studies are showing us that weekly church attendance has declined significantly to the fact that it's been hovering around 3 out of 10 adults that attend church weekly. 3 out of 10 adults that are practicing Christians only attend church weekly. So that being said, various factors in this study appear to impact the likelihood of a family attending church on a regular basis. As example, two-thirds of married people's children, that's 64%, attend church every week, compared to half of single-parent kids, 51%. But study also shows this, that children who are most active in church tend to engage with the Bible outside of church and then pray together with their families as well. They are also about twice as likely to engage in outreach activities and volunteerism, demonstrating that the level of dedication in this group to the overall mission of the church is not only internally focused, but expresses itself in outward actions. In other words, if we continually go on the decline of the weekly attendance and the regular gatherings, all of these other things also decline. Could it be that the struggle of our economy right now, that the reason why people aren't wanting to go to work, the reason why we have a hard time finding volunteers, the reason why the overall mission of the church has been conceived as this idea that it is only internally focused, maybe the reason why is because of our efforts and our energies have not been directed in attending regularly. Could it be that the practice in our own homes, the spirituality has decreased and therefore the rest of our world decreases because I believe that the church should set the standard for the rest of the world, for the rest of our workforce, for how we do life and business and build relationships. We've got to start it at home. And I've realized this, that what happens in my house is my responsibility. And we are called to fight for our families. We are called to fight for our relationships. We're called to fight for our friendships. Because what happens in my house is my responsibility. We want to put a lot of responsibility on our school districts to train and, and teach our children. 
but yet we do very little training and teaching at home. We want the church to train and teach our kids spiritual things, but then we do very little at home. Your percentages of retention with that are going to drastically decline because you're not allowing what everything else is going on and everything else is being taught to be duplicated in your home. Because what happens in your home is your responsibility. And I feel like we're in this battle. We're, we're in this fight. We're fighting for our families, fighting for our friends. We're fighting for what is right. And if there's going to be a mass revival like the Bible says, then we've got to get back to the very essence of what it means to be a family, what it means to have a great home, what it means to live, love, and look like Jesus in the context of relationships. But we're in a fight. We're in a battle. In fact, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 10. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. The word strongholds here is, is translated in the Greek as okaroma, which is simply this, a prisoner locked in by deception, living life by something that is not true. So our whole point of this first installment of me and my house is this, that I want to teach how to make the difficult decisions seem easy 101. When we talk about 101, what we're saying is it's an introductory class, right? It's the beginning of something. And you've seen people that have made difficult decisions seem easy, but it seems like in your own mind, in your own life, making difficult decisions is difficult. It's hard. But how can I make difficult decisions seem easy? Well, one, we've got to realize that we're in a battle, we're in a fight, and this, this stronghold that we've got to be able to pull down is, is the stronghold of human reasoning, and it's literally being locked in by deception or living life by something that's not true. That is the world we're living in right now. It is a filled with fake news. It's filled with false ideas. It's filled with these, these concepts that are not biblically founded or true. And Joshua in our text is like, hey, Today, I'm making a decision that no matter what everybody else does, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm no longer going to live under a false reality, a false sense of security. I'm not going to be locked in by deception. I'm going to serve God. Good times, bad times, I'm going to serve the Lord. Joshua made a difficult decision seem easy. And so I was trying to figure out how do we do this in our own homes? How do we do this with our relationships? How do we make difficult decisions for our children? How do we make difficult decisions for our homes and our spouses and our jobs and our careers? And how do we make difficult decisions seem easy? Well, number one is this, that we have to keep it clean. We have to keep it clean. The first issue that Joshua is dealing with with the rest of the tribes is that they were being pulled away from who God was. They were leaving who he was. Not just what he did, but who he was. They were de declining who he was. They were, they were removing themselves from his presence to serve other gods because it was a false sense of, of prosperity, 
a false sense of belonging, a false sense of hope with these other tribes. They were false treaties and false promises that were being made. And Joshua was like, I don't care about all that. There is a God that I want to serve. He loves me and I love him and I want to follow him. So we've got to learn to keep it clean. In fact, this goes back to Jacob in Genesis chapter 20, 35. And it says this, So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourself, and put on clean clothing. We are going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Jacob is pulling his own household. He's keeping it clean. He's like, hey, all these other things, get rid of it. If they don't serve God, if they're not a part of his kingdom, get rid of it. It's what Paul talked about there in our our scripture in Corinthians where he says we've got to pull down these things that are not true, these things that are exalting themselves, bringing themselves higher in, in human reasoning and thought higher than God. We've got to get back to knowing and understanding who God is. And Jacob said, we're going back to Bethel, which means the house of the Lord. We're bringing our house back to being a place where God resides. Our homes have to be a catalyst for the presence of God. We need to make our homes a sanctuary. Our homes need to be a safe place that at the end of a long day, you want to get home because it's going to be peaceful. There's people there that are going to fight for you. There's people there that are going to listen to you. Your homes need to be a sanctuary. A sanctuary where the presence of God is. A place that you feel safe and a place where you know that the peace of God dwells in. And I've realized that a lot of our homes are not like that. Simply because we have tried to add Jesus to our homes instead of allowing our homes to revolve around Jesus. Jesus shouldn't be something we add. But he needs to be everything that our home revolves around. We've got to have Christ-centered marriages, Christ-centered relationships, Christ-centered parenting. Everything in our homes, everything in our lives need to revolve around him. Jesus is not an added ingredient. He is the main ingredient. And sometimes I believe that it's the simplest things that make the biggest changes. You're saying, well, how do I, how do I bring Christ back into my home? How, how do I add him? How do I, how do I revolve all of this around? I've just added him as this is something we do, but how do I cause everything to revolve around? We here at Encounter, we have challenged our church to the first 15, where we spend the first 15 minutes of every day, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship, and five minutes in Bible reading. And I'm challenging you today, those of you that are listening and watching, let's start every day. Sometimes it's the simplest things that cause the biggest changes. Let's learn to pray together. Let's learn to eat together. Let's learn to talk together. Let's learn to do life together centered around Christ. It's the simplest things, but it will make the biggest changes. The question I have, how much time do you spend praying with your family? How much time do you spend talking about the things of God with your family? How much time do you spend talking about the positive as opposed to the negative and the tearing down? Maybe, maybe your home can be centered and everything you do revolving around Christ if you will just take sometimes the simplest things to make the biggest changes. We have seen a, a new fad 
that has come across Christendom as a whole. It has swept through. It has become a popular thing to do, and that is deconstructing one's faith. In fact, young people and teenagers, they're doing this. They're just deconstructing their faith because, because there's a world out there that is promising them all kinds of things. And it's the benefit and the hope that if you deconstruct, if you, if you turn against, if you refuse to follow, then, then, hey, you're your own individual and you've got your own life to live. And years ago, it was YOLO. You only have one life, right? It's, it's it. That's it. And, and so we've developed this idea, this popular concept that it's okay to deconstruct one's faith. But I realize that deconstructing faith is less likely to occur when the presence of God is truly experienced in your home. It's less likely to occur. I think that there are the need for questions to be answered. And I think the homes need to have safe places that you can ask questions because that's what Jesus was about. But it is not to the fact that we are going to deconstruct. In fact, it is to the fact that we want to build up our holy faith in Him more and more. Not pulling down, but actually building up. Getting rid of religious ideas in order to build relationship with this God who has answered your prayers in the time of your distress. Getting rid of things that exalt itself, things that are self-promoting and self-exalting, and then learn to exalt him. It's interesting to me that in this fad and, and theme of deconstructing one's faith, there have been other faiths that have risen to the surface, such as just recently Duke University held a service in which they prayed to the great queer one. And Carolyn Camp was the one who led it, and she claimed this in her prayer, that God is mother, father, Parent, drag queen, trans man, and gender fluid. She's a second year student, and she opened the service with saying, Strange one, fabulous one, fluid, and ever becoming one. The reason why we have had this kind of a flow in our nation is because we have forgotten who God is is. We've allowed things to cloud and clutter our minds, to come in and dirty our homes. And it hasn't been intentional, but it has just been life and the things that happen to the fact that we have put up blinders because we cannot and we have refused to define who God is. No wonder our kids are deconstructing their faith because they didn't know who God was in the context of the home. And we need to bring back God to our houses. If we're going to fight for our families, we bring God back to our houses. Romans 1 says it like this, But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools 
And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen? That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires, and even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. If this does not define the day and age we live in right now, I don't know what does. But the reason why is because God has not been defined. They are willing to make up other ideas about God. He is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm telling you right now, God is not a queer one. God is not a trans man. God is not fluid gender uh, specific. God is God from the beginning of time to the end of time. He's Alpha, He's Omega. He's the beginning and the end. God does not change because our ideas of Him have changed. And we need to get back to understanding who and what God is. Because the wrong information is going to send us in the wrong direction. And if all we do is have a wrong idea of who God is, then we're going to go in the wrong direction. The reality is, is my source determines my destination. What I get my information from, what I get my sources from, what is feeding me determines where I go. The Bible says it like this, that God is not the author of confusion. So every generation needs a personal God encounter. Studies have showed that the longer an individual is in a generational uh, flow, so that means this, that we can have first, second, third, fourth, fifth generation Christians. And the longer and the deeper that generation goes, the more easy it is for one to deconstruct their faith if they do not have personal relationships. The problem is, is we coast, we guide, we, 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 we just kind of glide along with what everyone else is doing and to the point where we now have questions that no one have, has answers for and, and it just seems like this is just something we continually do. We need personal encounters with God in every generation and it begins at home. You cannot do this without a relationship with God. And what we really need in our homes, what we need in our schools, what we need right now more than anything else is a revival of the fear of the Lord. Not a trembling fear, but an awe, an honor, and a respect for His presence, 
for who he is and what he is. In fact, Psalms says it like this in Psalms 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, then the absence of it is pure chaos. The reason why we have chaos is because we have lost the reverence and respect for the fear of the Lord, who He is, what He is, how He works and how He acts. We have created our own gods and worshiped them and lost our fear of the Creator Himself. We've got to get back to the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We want wisdom. We want a wisdom on how to raise our kids. We want wisdom of how to, how to have healthy relationships. We want wisdom in our careers. We want wisdom in, in our marriages. We want wisdom. Then we need to get back to the concept, is this a good decision or is it a God decision? You want to make difficult, hard decisions seem easy? It's going to be filtered through a God decision, not just a good decision. Because wisdom demands change. And wisdom sets a course of holy direction. In fact, Proverbs 1 says it like this. He says, turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Did you see this? He said, if you have wisdom and you have the fear of the Lord, then I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. Maybe the element that we're missing on the the outpouring of the Spirit is wisdom. Is wisdom because he said, once you connect with wisdom and the fear of the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on you. You're ready. And that's why David prays it like this in Psalms 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, the Amplified says, in His presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. It's bringing us back to who God is. Keep it clean. The second challenge that Joshua had to face was this, that now they had to make a decision. They've turned from God. They've walked away towards other idols and other ways of doing things in different cultures, but now the challenge is that they had to make a decision. My second point is this. There are no shortcuts. You want to make difficult decisions seem easy? There's no shortcuts. We have to stop making poor decisions while praying for a blessed life. I don't know how many times we can pray for a blessed life. God, will you bless this? But yet we continually make poor decisions. My blessed life is a direct connection to making God decisions, not poor decisions. I have to stop praying for God to bless all my poor decisions. And I've realized that your home culture comes by default or design. How you design your home and the culture in it is dependent upon you, or it's going to be a pure chaos. Your home's culture is, is just going to be a default. Is it filled with anger and rage and, and animosity and just, just pure chaos? Or is it filled with love and acceptance and peace and generosity? Because those things... The latter things don't come by default. They come because it's designed and it's intentional. 
It's a decision every day. I'm not going to allow X, Y, and Z into my house, but I am going to make sure that we are a forgiving family. We're a loving family. We're a family filled with hope and grace and peace and mercy. And when bad times come, we're not going to turn to other things. We're going to turn back to God. I'm making a decision to serve God. And I've realized that great homes are built from the uncomfortable route, not the convenient route. We've got to stop dancing around big issues. Your kids have big issues, let's talk about it. Your spouse has big issues, let's talk about it. Let's run, let's run out of the fear of, are they going to do something bad? Are they going to say something bad? Let's stop dancing around it. Christian homes, Jesus follower homes, are filled with grace and acceptance and love and hope that we can have hard conversations because great homes are built from uncomfortable routes, not convenient ones. Not dancing around issues, not skirting around and I'll get back to that, but having uncomfortable conversations so that we can come to God decisions and answers. Convenience will kill great homes. So the question is, what route are you taking? What decisions are you making right now? Are you going to go after culture or are you going to go after kingdom? I've realized that it's, it's not just about knowing the right thing. It's operating in that knowledge with consistency no matter what. Having discipline, because it's the small things that can change big things. And discipline, that's what, that's what Proverbs said, right? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But a fool hates discipline. Discipline changes you. And when you decide for discipline... The results always will lead to your destiny. When you set into motion that the culture of my home is not going to be defaulted, it's going to be designed, I'm going to set in daily disciplines to get me from here to there. The good news is right now your home may be in chaos, but you don't have to stay in chaos. Your kids may be a wreck, but they don't have to stay a wreck. Your marriage may be down the twos, but it doesn't have to stay there. Your own personal life may absolutely be spiraling out of control, but it doesn't have to stay that way if you decide today to put in daily discipline so that your life, your home, your marriage, your relationships, your friendships will matter because of the presence of God. We want shortcuts. We, want, we get to the place where, where it's, it's what can they do for me? And if they can't serve me any longer, then I'm cutting them off. I'm done. It's a shortcut. Maybe it's a shortcut in the marriage that I'm not getting what I want out of it. And so I feel like if I cut the relationship off, if I do this thing, then suddenly I'm going to have a shortcut. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to give it all up. But shortcuts are never what they seem. It's never as it appears. Shortcuts always lead to trouble. It always leads to dead ends, and it never produces the right thing. Shortcuts are not biblical. We have to stay the course, take the uncomfortable route, even when convenience offers you a shortcut. How do we protect against that? Well, it begins by having predetermined decisions. 
That when I get to this place, when this presents itself, when this temptation arises, I am determined now before I get there that I will not. I will not participate in that. I will not look at that. I will not go with that. I will not be with that. And the reality is is that if you make predetermined decisions today, then when you get to the trouble, when you get to the issue, when you get to the temptation, when you get to the leading astray, then you are going to have in your mind already made up that I'm not going to serve this other thing. I'm not going to follow culture. I'm not going to give in to temptation. Today I'm making a predetermined decision. I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what. You can't take the easy way out. You cannot take the easy way out. In fact, I read a quote this week that said this, Do not spoil what you have. By desiring what you have not. Remember that what you have now was once among the things you only hoped for. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. And people of purpose and people of decision making, making hard, difficult decisions seem easy, have already decided I will not take the easy way out. Hear me, individuals that have had generational curses on your family. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the addictions that just seem to go from one generation to the next. I'm talking about anger that has gone from one generation to the next. I'm talking about inherited shame that goes from one generation to the next. I'm talking about the chains and the the cycles that go from one generation to the next. It is up to you to break the cycle and break the chains. I heard a statement this week that said this, heal So you don't have another generation of trauma passing itself off as culture. The reason why our culture is so much in chaos and disaster is because we've been unwilling to simply break the cycle and heal ourselves under God's power and God's glory. Jesus is still a healer. And he wants to heal the emotional pain. He wants to heal the mental pain. And he wants you to stop the cycles because you're better than this. Homes are better than this. Our families are better than this. Because of Jesus. We have to make the decision right here, right now. As for me and my house and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, You want to make the difficult decision seem easy? Start with God. Make it clean. And don't take a shortcut. That's it. You want to have those difficult decisions seem easy? Those difficult challenges? It goes back to that. Keep it clean. Put God back in it. And don't be willing to take the easy way out with a shortcut. It's the introductory lesson. But Psalms 101 says it like this. And this I hope we will make as a declaration as we close this this out. That you will declare this. Maybe take this and put a note in it or, or bookmark it in your Bible or whatever it is. But I wonder if you would just make this as your creed for your home. David said, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. 
I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. This is our challenge. I will make sure that I will keep it clean. I won't have any shortcuts. And I'm going to make sure that my house is the starting point so that my family, my friends, my kids, everyone that comes from my house will make a difference in this world for Jesus so that his kingdom can come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you're watching this today and you're saying, I want to get back on that right track. I want to make difficult decisions seem easy. I want to pray for you. And maybe the difficult decision you're having right now is, do I follow Jesus or not? It's the best thing that you can do. Not because I'm telling you, but because I've lived it. Because others have lived it. Not a false Jesus, but a real Jesus. A Jesus that no matter where you are in whatever state you're in, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you're involved in, He loves you, He accepts you, and He wants you to come home. He wants to bring you back. He wants to bring you into His family. And He wants to see your life prosper and thrive because of His goodness and His grace and His mercy. It's not, not over. You're not done. It's not finished. Your failure is not final. And the state of your house is not the end. Let's get it back on track with God. If you're watching this right now and you're wanting to make a decision, you want to say yes to following Jesus, I want to pray for you. And at the end of this, I want you to just declare, I'm going to follow Jesus. Today I'm making a decision for me and my house. I'm going to serve the Lord. If you've been away from Him and you want to come back, this is your moment to make a fresh start and say, I'm starting all over again today. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for challenging us in this season and craziness of a life right now. And I pray that you would give us security in the foundation that you have established from the beginning of time, that your word is true, your love is everlasting, and your grace is never failing. Today, I'm asking that you would take the chaos of my life, the brokenness of my life, the stress, the animosity of my life, and would you make something brand new out of it? Today, I ask that you would forgive me of my wrongdoings. And I declare that you are Lord and Savior of my life. And for that, I say I give you my life. And I am making a decision that today, as for me, I'm going to follow you in Jesus' name. If that was you today, we want to celebrate and say congratulations for joining the family, for being a part of this amazing thing called following Jesus. I can't wait to hear your story and how God has impacted your life. So comment below, direct message us, and let's see God do an incredible thing in you. If you haven't already, I want you to follow us right here on YouTube or on, on Spotify or wherever you're listening. I want you to follow us. I want you to hit and smash that subscribe button, and, and that way you can stay up to date with everything else that's going on, everything that we're putting out. We want to see your life changed because you matter to the kingdom of God. You matter to the church. You matter to the people around you and we want to see your life make a big big difference so this year at encounter we are building his church together as we encounter god 
and encounter people. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow Jesus to transform your soul. We pray that you have an amazing week. Thanks again for being a part of the Encounter Church family. God bless you.